Oh, hello, Captain. How are you, my friend? How are you doing? What's going on, pal? Oh, uh, it's been uh, editing upon editing for this six-part series that we put out. Well, you know what? Let's jump right to that. We'll shoot ahead. Tell me about the new podcast, Shaker Heights. Yeah, it's just a it's a six-part series. It's a case that me and Nick have looked into several times, and then um, it was reported on by James Renner. James Renner kind of approached us with this idea that he had the transcripts of the actual interviews between the detectives and different people uh, involved in the case. And he said, well, what if we told it in such a way where the listeners could hear the actual interviews that were done by the detectives? I'm sorry, Captain. I was going to tell you, sell me on the case. Sell me exactly what Chicka Heights is for those who don't know. It was a girl named Lisa Pruitt, and her boyfriend was just gone out of a mental institution. Um, and that's there's some conflict there between his name was Dan Dryford. The Dryford family had some issues, and the day that he got out, she was supposed to come by later that night to visit him. They heard some screams. And they found her body. Um, so it's 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 early nineties. Mm-hmm. It was in Shaker Heights, which is a basically a suburb of Cleveland, but it's very reminiscent of serial, uh, like the Adnan Syed case, but just nine years before. Did you enjoy doing this different kind of stuff? Because I've had James James Renner on here. You you've had him on. He's a great reporter. He delves into so much stuff. Did you like doing it with the detectives' interviews? Did you like that, or did you like you and Nick talking more? It was just we wanted to do something different, just to switch things up. It became such a workload. You know, when we started podcasting. And still, podcasting is kind of the wild, wild west. Mm-hmm. And there's still, you can still start a podcast from your garage like we did and, and have success. And, you know, that's what Nick does for a full-time job now. Um, but to take on a project like this, um, there's been a lot of shows that started in a garage that now have a staff of people. <laughs> Uh, we don't have a staff of people. Uh, it's, it's still 90 some percent of everything that we do is just me and Nick from the website to uploading the shows to social media. And there's, (laughs) there's so many times that I reply to somebody and they just assume that I'm some, uh, you know, website administrator or something <laughs> and i'm like no it's still actually me and and we do have somebody that helps us out with uh facebook but but again nine out of ten times when you get replied to on facebook it's probably me um so the research is done still by us um we do have uh somebody that we that helps us now with uh, some fact checking on some things uh, we like to double check almost every information that every piece of information we get, even if it's maybe a silly piece of information. So we 
we do have somebody helping with that. And, and, and once we started doing merchandise, we, we have somebody that kind of helps us here and there with the merchandise. But again, I'd say, you know, 90% of everything that we, you know, or 95% of everything we do is still run by two individuals. And sometimes it's just way too much. We, t- we bite off way more than we can do. <laughs> and with Shaker Heights, as you're doing it, you're like, oh shit, this might've been a little much or was it, uh, were you like, okay with it? It was, there was some episodes, <laughs> a, a typical episode. If the episode's an hour long, uh, I edit as we go, mm-hmm. which is very abnormal. But the reason why I do that is because why should I have to sit in a room for a couple of hours? <laughs> uh, and, and why Nick gets to watch football. So, but this one, um, we recorded all the parts individually then started putting it together. And last night, for example, there was a 20 minute section that probably took me three hours. So it was just very tedious. And like I said, we, we bit off maybe more than we could chew, but it's so funny too, because so many of the listeners are like, Oh, this new format's great. (laughs) Oh no. Oh no. Or the new format sucks. And you're like, this is not a new format. This is just a six part series. And then we're moving on, you know, back to the regular show. Captain, when, at, when during the editing, did you want to punch James Renner in the face for suggesting this case to you? Well, it's really kind of interesting because James Renner and Nick are, are pretty close. Um, before we even started the podcast, I'll never forget because everybody always talks about how interesting it is that like, especially when you create something from nothing and then it actually, there's some success. People kind of want to know what the story is and the story probably starts way back, you know, being in elementary school and talking about unsolved mysteries and, and some of the cases that we talked about in in elementary school. But I still remember probably, I'd say maybe a year or so before we started the podcast (laughs) that Nick uh, told me, Hey, uh, I was driving to a gig and he was driving. That's why he gave me a call and we ended up talking about cases for about an hour and a half. And I said, well, where are you driving to? He goes, I'm driving to listen to this author uh, speak about his book. Wow. And, and then the next day I give him a buzz. Hey, how did that thing with the author go? Oh, it went pretty good. I chased them out in the parking lot <laughs> and, and asked him all these questions and I kind of weirded the guy out. And then cut to a couple years later, James Renner coming down and us uh, renting out the studio to have him do an interview with us. And, the, uh, you know, James pops into the studio and Nick says, uh, nice to meet you. We've met before. And right away, Renner goes, yeah, you followed me out to the parking lot one day. <laughs> you know, so, it, you know, 
and they've done some really good stuff together. They got a project called, uh, I believe it's called the Port Porch Light Project. And there's a bunch of different people that are involved. But what they've been doing is taking cases that maybe need funding raised to get DNA tests done. Um, or if there's some other tests that need to be done that maybe a police department doesn't have the funding to do, they've been taking on things like that. So, um, and then on the flip side, I've got to know uh, a lot more people involved with the Mara Murray case. And me and James heavily disagree a lot on, on that case. And also maybe in the way in which he's gone about some of that stuff in that case. Mm-hmm. And that recently came out because um, I did a couple of interviews and and I kept on getting all these emails and these text messages. Oh man, you're bashing this guy and you're really attacking him, <laughs> you know? Um, and I'm like, I didn't feel like I was attacking him. I felt like, I've said all this stuff to his face, you know, so there, there's no issue here. You know, he knows w- what we disagree on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then within, you know, <laughs> a couple of weeks of just, it was like our Twitter was just uh, Mara Murray and James Renner <laughs> for about two weeks. And which was hilarious. Knowing that Shaker Heights was coming out uh, a project that, that we work together on. So I, I, I think the, the, the message that we're trying to send is, uh, and not just uh, me and Nick, but also James Renner is we're not always going to agree on everything. Um, but our intentions hopefully are good. And, and, and it's okay to disagree because I think so much, in the true crime community, it's like not okay to have different opinions. And so I think we're trying to show we don't agree on everything. Even with the Shaker Heights thing, I I don't think James, James's viewpoints on some of the piece of pieces of evidence of that case are, are the same as mine, but that's okay because without um, some conflict without some disagreeing, you're not going to get to other ideas or other leads. You said it perfectly because without conflict and disagreements, when you do that, you might be able to enlighten the other person, maybe put a light bulb on, like, holy shit, I never thought of that idea and another route to go down. Because after a certain while, you know, Captain, after a certain time, it's just cold and you're just treading the same tracks over and over. You need, you know, new blood in there. So that's why conversations about stuff are different but you mentioned shaker heights in ohio you're a proud ohio guy how is ohio right now it's cold right now uh so um i'm hoping that it warms up in the next couple weeks when are you getting to the big apple i i invited you out here and i feel like i'm a spurned friend you you spurn my advances when i invite you to the big apple well no it's funny because uh i was just talking to um not not Paul Holes, um, but I was talking uh, 
I mean, this happens with Tim and Lance from Crawl Space. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, uh, Billy Jensen just messaged me uh, two days ago. He said, uh, Billy Jensen just puts out a book. I mean, he's on TV. He's famous. Yeah. Sends me a message. When are you coming out to LA? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I don't have uh, like some schedule where I have to be in LA ever yeah, yeah. <laughs> or that I ever have to go to New York. I mean, back in the day when I traveled for music, I would, I would get to go to New York. Uh, I only played one place there. I played there multiple times. It's called Lion's Den. It was right by. Of course. In, in the village, of course. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I played there multiple times. Sold it out a couple times. That's a great spot. I um, I, I live like five blocks. That's a great spot. Yeah, it was a great spot, but now I have no reason to <laughs> to go to New York. Not not that I don't want to. Of so course. anytime I get invites, like you invited me, and like I said, Billy Jensen. I mean, he's more famous Billy than me. Is, Come on, go out to L.A. <laughs> he well, Billy is just he, he's just a good guy and. Yeah. And he's he's fun to have a beer with, but it's just so funny how casual he is, mm-hmm. like <laughs> about hey, come out to L.A. You know, when are you coming out? Like nobody else wants me out there, Billy. But I'll, <laughs> only I'll only come Billy out to L.A. just for you. So. You mentioned the music. You still playing a lot of gigs? First of all, the music on the podcast lately has been on fire. It, it's been sounding great. I know you do the music. Have you been playing a lot of gigs lately? No, uh, uh, that's, I think that's the thing. Like, I think with Nick, he's always had a true crime as a part of his identity. Okay. And, but I was just one of his friends that he could talk to about cases with, you know? So music has always been part of my identity And then when we do the show and still to this day, if we get a bad review, it's, it's always that they hate me. Um, they love Nick, but they hate me. And, and so it's been weird, but I haven't played, I'll pick up some gigs here and there. I'll fill in with some people and I'll play the the show, just the amount of work, uh, it takes. By the time I hit the weekend, the last thing I want to do is mm-hmm. to go hang out in a bar till two o'clock in the morning. Um, but I still play. I still play maybe once a month, if that. But uh, but the show has allowed me to uh, spend more time on recording music and the production side of music, mm-hmm. and and so I get to buy some cool toys. <laughs> so I have a lot more toys <laughs> and um, less gigs. Yeah, and less gigs, which is so funny because I, I think that at the top point of me playing, I own like I was teaching forty some kids a week. I was playing two to three gigs a week on average. Um, I was averaging almost two hundred gigs uh, a week or uh, a year, and I had one bass and one guitar. And that was it. And and now I play maybe 12 times a year. And I couldn't even tell you how many guitars and basses I have. It's it's ridiculous. And so 
I love it. I absolutely love that. Uh, you, you're pigeonholed as the crime guy. So every interview you do is crime, crime, crime. Besides crime, I know music. What else are you into? Well, it's funny because, like, if Nick shows up and he's in a bad mood, mm-hmm. all I have to do is bring up NFL or college football. Okay. And he can just, he'll just start yapping. He'll just, he just goes and goes and goes. And we, and we still talk. I mean, because me and Nick played in a band for about six years. And so we still talk about music here and there. And But uh always been into sports. But the funny thing is when I'm growing up and you're a musician, you start getting to this idea of like, it has to be music all the time. Uh-huh. Right? Like It has to consume get, your life. Yeah. Yeah, but it it really doesn't because it's the experiences of life that really kind of shape you as an artist. So if all you're doing is practicing guitar or practicing bass or whatever it is, then that's all you know as an individual. So then it just becomes you, you almost are creating music for people that for only people that play music. Um, and so I think with like the the podcast lately, I've been getting a lot of compliments saying, "Man, this music's been great." But I was, I think that's also because I get I got some different production stuff, mm-hmm. and it's really like geared towards um, a little more aggressive, I'd say, a little more rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, so it's it's weird because I was so focused, singular, singularly focused on music, and then once I started playing two, three nights a week, well, what's on at the bars, NBA, uh, you know, NFL, college football, and that really brought me back to, you know, watching that stuff. Um, So I'm into sports and stuff, but I'm also really, like, a a sick addiction into uh, movies. Um, Really? And you know what's funny, Cap, because sports is my life. So that's all I only care about sports, reading and traveling movies. I've maybe watched 20 movies my whole life. That's it. I just don't watch. I just find nothing intriguing about them. So you're just a movie fanatic. Yeah. So if you said like, give me your top 10, all every single one I would give you, I've probably watched over 20 times. Really? Um, Yeah. I just, and like, and I just got into the HBO series, The Outsider. Okay. And I'm the nerd that, you know, when they put the, like, <laughs> after the episode is released, here's a five-minute clip of behind the scenes <laughs> you, or and whatever. You watch it, I, and you watch it. And I watch that stuff. <laughs> and I, I, I just love it. And it's also funny, too, because there's also, like, scenes of movies that would, like, make you cry. Mm-hmm that they used to make me cry, but I've watched them so many times that now I find them hysterical. <laughs> so then I'll be watching a scene with somebody like, Hey, remember the scene from Forrest Gump or, or Goodwill hunting or Rudy or whatever it is. And they're like, Oh yeah, this is such a sad scene. And I start breaking down everything that's funny about the scene. And then and they just kind of look at me like I'm sick and twisted. So, uh, Ohio guy, are your things the Ohio State University football, the Browns and the Cavs? Are those your uh, three things, or w- what is your favorite? Well, yeah, I've, I've always been an Ohio State guy. Um, as far as NFL, 
it's it's hard to root for losers your whole life. So, <laughs> so, so, so the Browns, I, but I'm not one of those guys that are like Browns are number one. Yeah. And then I have another team. Gotcha. Normally I have another team and then the Browns are number two. Okay. Okay. So uh, who's your other team? Uh, the Patriots, <laughs> uh, which people just hate. Um, and, and I don't know how they became just any time that they were on TV. I just found myself, you know, rearranging my day to watch them. Uh, and I don't like Tom Brady. So figure that one <laughs> out, crazy. figure that out. I, I think Tom Brady is completely overrated. Uh, but I'm a Patriots fan, so it makes zero sense. Um, but the Browns have been fun to watch lately. And for some reason, I don't like Cincinnati. So I'm all kinds of mixed up. You're, you're all, Captain, you're all messed up. Listen, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Because I'm happy to be talking to the Michael Jordan of the podcast. Are you tired of carrying Nick around on your back, carrying that show? <laughs> I wish I wish I was the Michael Jordan of true crime. Uh, <laughs> I'm... I'm I'm lucky if I'm John Paxton. Hey, John Paxton hits a big shot here and there, Captain, so don't don't sell yourself short. That's a deep reference. Some people are going to have to Google who's John Paxton. John Paxton, number five. Um, You don't mention it many times on the show, but I remember last time we spoke, you said your father's a retired detective. Is he a listener of True Crime, of uh, True Crime Garage? Yeah, he really likes the intros. (laughs) And then then I think think they put him to sleep. so I think he makes it through the intro and then like the first part of the case and then he falls asleep. So he's constantly telling me, oh, yeah, I just listened to your one show about the one guy <laughs> that mi- went missing from the one place. I'm like, what a detective, right? What a detective. Can't even remember the people's names. Did you ever, um, did, wait, did you ever think of following in his footsteps and maybe going in the law enforcement route? Oh, there was like at least three times in my life. Really? That I that I went to him first. Okay. Like, I have to make a change. I have to do something with my life. What am I interested in? Mm-hmm. And... And like, I, you know, going back to the whole like podcast thing, the podcast blows up. And the next thing you know, you're the captain. And I'm like, the captain was just a nickname that we came up with for the show. So people are like, people think that like in my real life, people call me the captain. And that's like not the case at all, you know, <laughs> you know, so now, now it's that now that's what I'm called. Um, you know, because my friends will pick on me. So I, you know, I, it's constantly wrestling with, you know, when you think you're set on this earth to do something, mm-hmm. but the universe is telling you, hey, it's not working out for you. I mean, I always made a living, but I was, I was really struggling um, because I always kept music as a priority. Even if I had a day job, the music was a priority. And, so there's several times that I that I called my father up and said, "Hey, uh, looking at going back to going back to school, and, and I really think I would be good um, as a police officer, not even a detective. I just thought, you know, we live in a society right now where not all police officers 
my my dad believed in serving and protecting, mm-hmm. and the first one being the most important, um, and really kind of champion against some of these. Like basically, in in my town that I live in, uh, or that I grew up in, don't live there anymore, but that I grew up in, they they stopped giving speeding tickets. You know, if you're five miles over, they basically said, look, if they're not six miles over to 10 miles over, don't even waste your time. You know, like that's not the job of a police officer. Um, so he really kind of instilled that in me that what he was doing was serving the community. And I, and so there was a couple of times that I thought, you know what, they, and, and at least in my town, they, and make a decent living. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a stressful job and, and still might be somewhat dangerous, but probably not as dangerous as it would be in a major city. Mm-hmm. So I'd go, okay, well, maybe I'll do that. And every time um, I'd bring it up to him, he was very much against it. And, well, I think it's just, I, I don't think the average person understands how much control a department has over the individual. Oh, you you miss birthdays, holidays, the hours you work, taking the work, the work home with you, of course. So he was looking out for you, yeah. you think? Yeah, and then like people go, well, but they got all these great benefits and they get these special duties and things like that. It's like, you know, my, my father, uh, not only did he retire from the police department, but he got a retirement from a local horse racing track because he worked there special duty for 20 years. Um, Got a special retirement through a church because he worked the bingo bingo for over 20 years. Um, And so when your father, I think that's the other thing too, is that people then think, well, your father was a detective, so you must know about, crimes in a different way no because especially when you're a detective it's not your job to go home and tell your wife everything that's going on in the case of course yeah you and remember you know you want your home to be a happy place so you leave work whatever your work is Captain, that's why when I love having you on we don't just sit here and talk true crime true crime that's your job you don't want to talk it every second of your life right and that's why like when Nick <laughs> when Nick shows up a uh, a little grumpy, I bring up football. Yeah. You know, so, um, and no, and I, I, I also think my father believed that, you know, this case, uh, is private and he, so he wouldn't talk about his cases that often. And, uh, my parents split up when I was, uh, around ninth grade mm-hmm. and there's four, uh, four kids total but I went to live with my father. So then I became like an only child of a, a detective. And that's when I really started seeing like the effects of the job and how it wore on him as an individual. Um, I think he's very proud that I'm doing something that's loosely based um, in his field. Mm-hmm. But, um, and he's get and he's given me some great insight when we talk about a missing person case and 
you know, he did over 4,000 missing person cases. I mean, that's, that's a lot. You know, I'll be lucky if uh, True Crime Garage does 4,000 episodes. Um, so, so I think he's proud in that sense. Um, but sometimes when I'm bashing the police or I'm saying the police got this wrong, <laughs> uh, he, he starts going, well, what's wrong with this kid? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, so- but, uh, no, I think, I think he's proud of it, but also in a weird way, like there's definitely been times where I think he, it's kind of like hurt his feelings in a way mm-hmm. that like, you know, that, you know, basically these two idiots in a garage can talk about crime and 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 make a living and 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 run their own schedule and that he was so controlled by a department. And not like in a bad way. I mean I think he's grateful for everything he got from the department. But he retired when he was forty six years old mm-hmm. due to disability. I mean when you get to the point where you have to take a physical test and they tell you we we can't allow you to take the test because you could end up paralyzed. Oh. Um, and, and that's how somebody's retiring and, 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 and just all the stuff that it affects. I mean, I don't play golf often, but when I do, he doesn't swing like a normal person because he can't, um, he, he is constantly, uh, taking steam showers and sauna trips and hot, hot tub trips from the amount of, and I think some of it is being a street cop, but I think a lot of that stuff was the, the weight training he did to stay in shape. Um, the, the hours and days he was on his feet. Um, and it wasn't really till he retired. And so, and then starting the show that we've actually talked more. I mean, he worked for state highway patrol, but the first day he was on at his department, there was a local lady that was stabbed 40 times in a gas station. And he walks in to report for duty and they say, Hey, go to this gas station. And your only job is to sit there and not let anybody in or out. And he said that he was there for 30 some hours you know, straight because, you know, he's like, I think they just forgot about me, <laughs> you know? And, and so you're just sitting there and also just like one of a, one of a, a good friend of my brothers and sisters, uh, the kid that lived a block away that uh, their father took his own life. Um, and I remember hearing about it at school and not seeing my dad for a week. And when I did see him, I remember his clothes looked worse and worse every time I saw him. Uh, same outfit. And his beard, he had no facial hair, but but because he was working so long and so many hours trying to figure out if this was a suicide or not. Uh, and he's gone for days upon days. I mean, that's the stuff I remember as a kid. I don't, my dad didn't sit around with some, you know, detective, uh, hat, smoking a pipe, uh, going to the library to look up, you know, ancient, uh, 
<laughs> you know, taking cult um, cases or anything. Yeah, yeah, cult rituals. That's not the stuff he was doing. Not the stuff that they make into TV shows. He was doing. He, he was doing he, real police work. He was putting his boots to the ground, Captain. That's what he was doing. Yeah, and a lot of times with detectives, it's it's your ear on the phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just waiting for and, tips and, to come in, this and that. Yeah, and my dad told me one time uh, I was working as a as a banker in uh, and and my dad always loved that I was a banker. Like that was my dad's favorite job of, of mine because he was such a big Seinfeld fan that there's the episode uh, that uh, uh, Newman or Kramer always wanted to be a banker. Yeah. So. The, the, the parking, the, the speeding, the three speed, years. Yeah, the ticket. <laughs> yeah, but to this day, if I, if we bring up banking, my dad always says, "Well, you always wanted to be a banker." <laughs> uh, but I, but my, but my boss was really getting on me, you know, about not dressing as nice as I could. And then my dad told me that that he could wear jeans to work if he wanted to. Uh, there was no dress code for the detectives other than they could have like a, they had to have a collared shirt, you know? Mm-hmm. So my dad could have showed up with dress pants and a polo or jeans and a polo or khakis and a polo. He wore top of the line suits and ties and every detective other than him did not wear a tie. And they would make fun of him constantly. Now, this is the head detective of a small unit. If there's a murder, he is the head detective. But he always told me that it was so important for him to dress nicer than everybody in the building. Because once he got into a building, he said, there's two things I needed to do my job. Access to the building. Well, three things. Access to the building. And once you got into the building access to a phone and a good cup of coffee. So, because a lot of times with detective work, it's following those leads, making calls. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it, uh, yes, there is some get in the car, drive over to somebody's house, knock on the door. But well, a lot of times it's let's call them first. Let's see if they're even there. Let's see if they're even going to be willing to talk to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I I wish I knew more about, um, certain things and, and we've actually talked about doing a podcast with him, um, where I just, I think it'd be interesting for people to hear why somebody chose that profession and what their intention was, um, to, to do that profession. On the, uh, we're gonna, I'm gonna piggyback on the law enforcement thing. And first of all, thanks for opening up about your dad, man. That was really cool. But as the show gets bigger and bigger, you told me last time that agencies have reached out to you about a case of that because the popularity of the show and you guys are a, obviously you throw a joke in here or two, but you're a serious show. You, you guys do a great job and a great service. Have law enforcement agencies, more of them, reached out to you guys about cases, about your opinion, what, hey, can you guys do a story on this and maybe get the word out? Well, with the Tyler Davis case, uh, it's a missing person case. He went missing over a year ago. 
um, or roughly about a year ago uh, this month. And I was, uh, tons of people were contacting us online saying, you should cover this case. It's kind of like Brian Schaefer. So, um, one of my friends actually said, well, I, I know his wife. So I reached out to the wife to see, Hey, there's not a lot of coverage of your husband's case. Would you want to talk about it? And she was so busy with stuff and, you know, she's, you know, you have a missing husband, but you still have a child you have to raise and you have a job you have to go to. And this was, you know, probably a month after he went missing. Uh, but it, I talked to her on the phone and she seemed so like gun ho about doing the interview. Mm-hmm. And then she just kind of kept coming up with these excuses. I mean, you know how it is. I gave you like 10, uh, <laughs> not to be on the show. Um, you know, I think my, I think my grandfather died like six times. <laughs> I sent flowers uh, five times out to Ohio captain. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I sent flowers five times. Uh, <laughs> um, so then I contacted uh, the the missing person unit, and they're the ones that actually said, "Hey, look, uh, we we've talked to her, but we'd really be interested to see what she had to say to somebody that wasn't law enforcement." So they kind of gave me some strategies to maybe try to entice her a little bit to do the interview. And we've had a couple of times where I'll get an email from somebody that's worked on a case that said, Hey, uh, thanks for covering the case. Um, and, and then lately we've had a couple retired detectives that are still working on cases mm-hmm. that if a case is pretty cold and nobody's really talking about it, uh, that's why we've done some of the cases we've done because to be able to talk to actual law enforcement or in several of these cases, not only have we been able to talk to law enforcement, we're talking to the family. We're talking to the lead detective. We're talking to two retired detectives that worked the case. So you're getting information that you can't find anywhere online. So uh, that, it seems like that, that make it, feel like so much more real um and and the stress becomes more real and or like in this you know a couple weeks ago i was able you know i've been really fascinated with the mara murray case and i met julie murray mara's sister fascinating podcast you did by the way you were unbelievable in that that podcast well it's so funny though because this is um, a lady that loves her sister. She's done as much publicity as she has could. Her dad kind of has led the case, kind of been the spearhead. And then now, as her father's getting older, she's realizing that he might not be able to see this through. Mm-hmm. And she has, she has become determined to see it through. And in doing so, then she goes, well, we got these tests, we got these experts, and the experts 
They don't want money for the actual test. They want money for the travel. They don't want to get paid. They just don't want to have to pay out of pocket. Sure. You know, so it's like, so she basically was like, look, I can do an interview with this show. And she, but she wanted to get to know me. And she talked so much shit to me over the phone and like through text messages, playful. Right. Mm, yeah. And so to do that interview, like I tried to keep it as light and friendly, knowing how nervous she was about it. Um, and it's just so funny because some people love that interview and I've got like hate mail saying of course. that I'm a scumbag because I was flirting with her I, or, but, but you know what? That's messed you know. up. And that bothered because I went on Reddit, uh, I go on Reddit very, very rarely. It's a, it's a vile place. And I went on after that interview because I was pissed at you guys. Well, pissed at you because you brought me down that rabbit hole again with Maura Murray. I, I was kind of a, a, away from that, Cap. And people were like, oh, you know, he, um, he was flirting. He was, But that's your – I don't want to say shtick, but that's your personality, and that's how you get people to open up. So I thought that was very unfair. But I want to piggyback one more time on the Maura Murray thing. Why is it – and you might know it better than anybody – certain cases forever are hot-button issues. Maura Murray. You and I talked last time about the West Memphis Three, John Bonet, Madeline McCain. Why do certain cases just consume us? And why is case A? Because Tyler Davies is a case that when you hear about it, you're like, oh, my God, this is fascinating. But yet it doesn't get the crazy press that the other ones do. Why is it certain cases just blow up? I, you know, I think that's a good question. And then it's uh, it becomes the chicken or the egg question, right? Because – all those cases, people that have an opinion of what happened or what they think happened, their opinions are very strong. They're almost as strong as like political opinions or religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you see that in the West Memphis Three case. You see that, like you said, John Benet Ramsey, um, Mara Murray, and but do those do those strong opinions i think those strong opinions actually attract more people because people are so passionate Um, about that that passion is just uh it's magnetic yeah and and i think and then what happens in those cases in those particular cases anyways is when they blow up like that it's the amount of information so like Brian Schaefer is a case that fascinates a lot of people. The amount of information when we were talking to TV executives and they were saying, we'd love to do a show with you. We'd love to do a documentary. And Nick's not hugely fascinated with the Brian Schaefer case. I am. And then logistically, if you're going to do a documentary with these two you know, idiots from a garage <laughs> do it in their backyard because logistically it's going to save your company tons of money. But the amount of information, like actual factual information of that case is very small. But I would argue that even like with the Mara Murray case, the actual factual information is pretty small, but the speculative uh, information is vast. Oof. And and if you dive into uh, Mara Murray, for example, uh, 
I mean, I know of one book. I know of another book that will eventually be coming out. I, it has a six-part documentary series on oxygen that's been covered on five different other shows. There's a whole podcast. Well, there's multiple podcasts that are dedicated just to that case. There's blogs that are dedicated to that case. So the amount of information I think is also what really keeps those cases so big because if you dive into OJ, you can spend days upon days upon days reading things. And, and all the cases that you talked about, um, Chabonet Ramsey, for example, there are multiple websites that have thousands of pieces of information and pictures and maps and you can really um, sink your teeth into it. I think something like the Tyler Davis case, for example, guy goes missing in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, there's a two-hour interview with True Crime Garage and maybe a couple other podcasts that have covered the case, but their their episodes are going to be less than two hours. There hasn't been a documentary made about it. There's not much information. And so I think it's hard for that case to keep in the spotlight because there's not a lot of information. Personal level, do you feel prefer discussing murder cases or missing persons? Which is, do you find, I hate to use the word funner because that's, that's ridiculous. Which do you feel, find more intriguing to talk about on your podcast, missing persons or murders? Well, I think, yeah, like you said, I mean, I, I think there's some stuff in the true crime community that we, we need to get past. Right, we got to get past a couple things. One, not every victim. Let's just take murder victim, or if you want to consider a missing person a victim, mm-hmm. I would, of course. But and we kind of talked about this on off the record, which is our little bonus show that we do um, every other week or whatever it is. Um, but we got to start getting past a couple things. One, uh, it's okay to say my favorite cakes, right? You know, there's too many, there's millions and millions of people that are fascinated by cases and maybe favorites, not the best word, but Hey, let's just get over it. What's your favorite case? Who's your favorite serial killer? Right. You're allowed to have that. Let's just get over it. If people can have a favorite football team, all football is, is a bunch of grown men that are wearing pads, dressing up in silly uniforms smashing each other, you know, smashing into each other, trying to get one ball across the other ball. And we decided for whatever reason, the ball needs to be this size and the field needs to be this big. So it's all kind of silly anyways. Um, so let's just get past that. You're allowed to have a favorite case. You're allowed to have a favorite missing person. You're allowed to have, and really what you're saying is these are cases that connect to me somehow let's get past that let's get past the idea that every victim was a shining superstar and so because, innocent yeah they lit up a room when they walked in it that's not always the case right because when i walk into a room it gets dim right <laughs> i am a i'm a snarky son of a bitch and that's just how i'm going to be uh if there's some buttons of yours to push i'll push them just mm-hmm. for fun but but if you if I go missing and you say I lit up a room, I mean unless I lit the place on fire. Yeah, that's a uh, flat out lie. 
it's just a lie. It's just, it's not true. Now, I, I also understand that you can't victim bash, but there's, man, we've covered some of these cases where you find out that the person that got murdered had a drug addiction. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a horrible thing, you know. Uh, but we got to get past some of this stuff. Uh, and also, I think because <laughs> because the cases that people present in a light of this person lit up the room, this person was an amazing person, that uh, those cases normally get more attention. You know, um, if you look at some of the, they call it the missing white girl syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Those cases become huge. Um, and why do they be, I mean, there, we've, we've covered cases that were within miles of the Casey Anthony case, same situation, missing toddler and nothing. white. Yes, I know. But poor. Mm-hmm. Like everybody now. And the thing too is, you know, the list Long Island serial killer case is fascinating to me. And Shannon Gilbert, I think, is a saint. Here's some, a girl that she was a sex worker. And, but she mattered enough to her family to want answers and they still never got answers. And it's a case that needs to be studied more. And it's a case that people need to be more outraged by. She is hired by all these individuals at a party, ends up leaving, calling 911 saying that they're trying to kill me. Mm -hmm. And if she wasn't a sex worker, this would be the number one talked about case in the world. Mm -hmm. But she was a sex worker. So therefore, she doesn't light up the room. Well, maybe at one point she did, right? And it's not my place to tell people if they you know, if sex working is a good thing or a bad thing. That's not for me to decide. But I, I have known a lot of people that have been struggling through life um, that maybe have an addiction problem, maybe don't have an addiction problem, maybe they've made some bad choices in their past. But some of those people. At one point, I can tell you, I can guarantee you they lit up the room. You know, maybe they just didn't light up the room for a couple years. And that's when this tragedy happened. And because they weren't lighting up the room and tragedy happened, it's like we care less. You know, so. But but I also think the major point, too, is if we're constantly saying that this person lit up the room and constantly saying that this this person did this, but everybody has skeletons. Everybody has badge that that happened and we're not going to learn anything. You know, we have to take these cases and dissect them. And, and that's, I think how we can learn some stuff. I mean, I think I don't want to get on too much of a tangent, but look at Jody Aries case, for example, there are so many women that I've talked to. Here's this lady that, She's a scorned lover, stabs her ex-lover 27 times Mm -hmm. in the bathroom. She's this horrible monster. But I've talked to so many females that say, well, what was going on before that? Yeah, I know, I know. And they're not justifying it. And they're not saying that this guy deserved to die. But what was happening? And, and, And can we examine that more? 
And maybe if we do, then we can understand the case better. And I think, and that's the other question that comes up all the time is, is dissecting these cases and going over and, and examining them. Um, is it important? Is it necessary? Is it something we should be doing? Uh, I believe it's very important. Um, I believe like if you look at the Chris Watts case, for example, mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of stuff going on in that marriage that should be examined. You have a family that lives in a house that they can't afford that files for bankruptcy. And after they files for bankruptcy, they instantly have multiple credit cards that are maxed out and new cars on new car leases. That needs to be examined. That should raise a red because, flag. <laughs> well, because I think I think sometimes look, look, we do live in a world that there's people like you know, again, it becomes that argument, nature or nurture. You know, does Ed Kemper become the co ed killer if his mother is not as verbally abusive as she was? I don't know. Uh what happened to Dahmer to create Dahmer? I don't know. But I don't think those things were the same for Chris Watts. And how does he kill a wife that's pregnant and two, you know, kids? Um, how does, you know, to me, that's as fascinating as, um, as an Ed Kemper. Because I think on some level with Bundy or Dahmer or Berkowitz or Kemper or some of these guys, you can go, they might have just came out of the, they might have just came out of the egg wrong, you know? <laughs> but, and they were but, just, but maybe not. You never know. Right. You don't, you don't know. And um, I believe there's evidence to point that, uh, to point us in certain directions. I think, I think Dahmer, uh, was just Don Moore was going to go down that path no matter what. That that be my argument. Um, and then you look at like what OJ did, and it's like is that a is that a reflection of his childhood, some deep sexual fantasy, or was it because he got hit in the head mm-hmm. and have C- and has CTE uh, problems? You never know. Right. And, but I think those things need to be examined. And I think we need to get past this notion that every victim is going to be the shining light that walked into the room. Um, and what can we take away from it? I mean, I, I've watched a lot of video footage of Chris Watts and his wife where she is um, degrading to him in videos that she was posting on, on Facebook live and maybe she was just teasing or playing around, but I think that's a part of the equation. Now I think where it gets, where you can get uh, twisted is when people then go, well, you're justifying why they got murdered. No, nobody deserves that period. You know? Uh, But I think if we want to be honest, uh, you can't have these cases covered by Dateline 
and think that you're doing anything good. You know, I really think these cases need to be we'll dive into them and, and figure out how we can and grow as a community. And maybe also by seeing this stuff, you know, why in the hell does a father of two, soon to be three, how does this person not think that it was okay just to say, you know, I had enough and I need a divorce and I can go be with my mistress and raise my kids jointly with my ex-wife and have a relationship with her. Harmonious. How does yeah. that not enter his brain and and his only way out was to murder his pregnant wife and then murder his two children. And then on top of that, then take them to a place and have to dump them into um, those uh, towers. Uh, it just, it, it baffles me. Uh, but I think, but I also think it's important. Like I said, those things are important to talk about because, you know, your buddy gets a raise. Congratulations. How's your retirement? You know, like, uh, you know what I mean? Like if I heard about my friend going into massive debt or, or filing for bankruptcy or doing X, Y, Z, I would put him in that, that mind frame. Oh man, I don't want my, I don't want my friend going down the path, Mm -hmm. a negative path, you know? So uh, I do think it's important to study all those aspects, but it's tough though, too. Cause like I said, you talk one negative thing about somebody, the next thing you know, you're victim bashing. Uh, or, oh, so it, it, it's you know. everything. One person that you guys obviously that, that did let up a room was John Bonet. And two things on that, do Cap. One, when we finished up the last show, last podcast, you said that's the show that people ask you the most about. Guys, do a show on John Bonet. You guys did a, what was it, a five or six parter? You guys broke down every possible thing. So obviously, congrats on that. That was a great case. What's the next most X about case that you guys are X to do right now? Um, the, the, well, just on that case where that was the fir- first case, like out of the gate, websites up, email. I probably the first email of, are you guys going to cover John Bonet? Of course. Um, and then the, the crazy stuff is when when you see stuff like, uh, you know, I always take a back seat to Nick. You know, he talks, I, I rebuttal, I toss in, you know, things here and there. I mean, what people don't see is behind the scenes, there's discussion on how this stuff is going to be laid out, what stuff we're going to be talking about. There's discussions about it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Of course. So, uh, but, you know, you get these crazy comments of people saying, you know, the Ramsey must have hired uh, the captain as their lawyer. <laughs> you go, look, I, I, here's the conclusion that I came up with. And, and I've actually talked about writing a book. And so we've been talked, you know, several people wanted us to do a TV show. That's probably never going to work out. Documentary. Uh, who knows if we did one, we'd probably just do it on our own. Uh, you know, finance this thing on our own, but, uh, you know, been contacted probably every other week. You guys should write a book. And then you go, what do you want us to write about? Oh, just about how you guys met, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Who who gives a shit about that? Like, 
I would like to write a book. John Douglas came out with a book. It's a great book for any like true crime person. Uh, the cold cases that haunt us. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of the cases that John Douglas was hired to go work. And he was hired to work the John Benet Ramsey case. And I believe through every case that we've covered, um, I'm a, I'm a facts person. I do not like, I like to speculate as far as I like to have a couple beers and sit around the table with a bunch of guys and talk about a case and speculate. Maybe this could have happened. Maybe this could happen. But I think with the big cases that we covered, like John Bonet, I think you learned something definitive. And what I learned definitively on that case is this was a violent, vicious murder. The, and look, people can argue with me. Go look at the autopsy photos and then read the autopsy and then realize that that rope was so far into her neck that you could not see the rope. So when they initially found her body, they did not see the rope around her neck. And that's because this was a vicious murder. So when people say, oh, well, the Ramses must have hired the captain as their lawyer, I don't, I'm not saying that they didn't do this. What I stated was this is a vicious murder. So whoever did this viciously murdered this girl. Um, and that's all I know. And that's, um, with a lot of these cases, that's as far as I get is one piece. I mean, I've read, uh, I watch every single documentary you could watch on John Bonet. I've read over four books on the case, uh, not to mention countless hours on YouTube, even people that I've never even heard of, you know, just made a video about John Bonet. I'm like, oh, I'll check it out. <laughs> And all I can come to the, my final conclusion is that this was a vicious murder, period. Um, so, but I, but I think it'd be interesting to write a book where I go through each case and just to, to present the, the one thing I learned and why. And I don't know if that's, a, I don't know if it's important or not, but I think. I think in a lot of these cases, we can come up with some definitives. And if we come up with those definitives, then we can come closer to uh, resolve. Your father probably. I don't remember what your question was, but you got me all. No, I got you all worked up on uh, John. John but my thing was, my question was, what, what, what case are you guys asked about to do now the most? Because obviously, John Bonet was finished. So, what case does everyone want you to do now? Um, it seems like we covered so many of them. Uh, you know, because for a long time, you know, Casey Anthony was really big to cover. Um, I think just when things hit the news, mm-hmm. like there was a new lead with the Brian Schaefer case. So people started emailing about that. Um, but yeah, there hasn't been the Epstein, you know, Jeffrey Epstein for a while was a case that people wanted us to dive into. Um, but yeah, I mean, John Bonet is so funny too, because I don't know, for maybe two years, Nick said he'd never do it. So since he said he'd never covered the case, I was like, okay, cool. We'll never cover the case either. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you know, he said, we're never going to cover it. Fine. We'll never cover it. And it was just, um, just, you know, him showing up to work one day and somehow we weren't talking about sports. We started talking about the John A. Ramsey case and whatever I said to him just triggered something inside him. And a couple of weeks later he said, I think we should just spend a whole month on that case. And I was like, yes, because <laughs> what, what, what people don't see is like, uh, I spent eight to 10 hours a day for the last two weeks editing the you know, this six part series and creating the music and creating the little bumper things and all that stuff and creating the ads. And, and now we got a case next week. So I get to wake up tomorrow and, and start a, start a new case. And then once I'm done with that case, I got seven, you know, I got seven days to learn as much as I can about it. And then it's on to the next case. Um, there's no, there's no stop. So, Sometimes there's cases in the news that we're kind of following, um, but to really like sink your teeth into anything, I mean, it's, you need time. And so, you know, there's a lot of times where people will bring up cases that we've covered and I'm like, I know, I know this answer, but I can't remember it. Uh, I, you just mentioned you have to get up early, so I'm going to bang out. You ready for some quick hit questions to finish up, Cap? Yeah. What book you're reading right now? Well, I, for the second time, two books. Uh, one you might like it, the the Beastie Boys audio book. Um, it's amazing. No, no wait. Is uh, that is that the one that they they came out? With? The hardcover book's the best because it has all different pictures in there and rare photos. That's a, I'm down with you listening to audio books, but that book itself is fascinating. Yeah, but what's awesome about the audio book is they got all these celebrities. Oh, okay. That, that might be and better I than the regular like book, the, yeah. And I also like when somebody's telling me a story, and it's, you know, it's Mike D. Yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. telling you a story, and and so it's coming from his, his mouth. And they also have all these, like, sound clips in the audio book. But what happened was I listened to the whole audio book. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. I bought the book mm-hmm. so then I, you can follow along with the book, with the stories. So it's my second time. And then I'm finishing for the second. So, so sometimes I'll do, I'll do two at once. So I'll take a crime book. Yeah. And then same way with movies. Like I'm rewatching, uh, this going to sound hilarious. So, so book wise, I'm, listening to the Beastie Boys book and also John Douglas's book, uh, Cold Cases That Haunt Us, both for the second time. And then movie-wise or TV-wise, I've been watching, re-watching Mindhunter. And at the same time, I've been uh, watching old reruns of Gilmore Girls. So figure that out. it uh, makes no sense. Zero sense, and that's why I love you. There are a ton of two, uh, true crime documentaries. You can't move a second on Netflix. You can't go from The Office without seeing 30 different true crime documentaries. We're oversaturated with them. Give me your two or three that if people are like, hey, Captain, you're the true crime guy. Give me two documentaries that I should watch. Give me two true crime documentaries that for whatever reason just hit it right. 
I think um, the HBO four-part series on Adnan Syed was very well done. Um, I think it also shows the humanity outside of the case. You have an individual that was, look, I know that case is very like Adnan's guilty or Adnan's innocent. That's it, yeah. Whatever whatever side you're on, you're on there probably pretty hardcore. Um, But when you see the pain that it's caused his family, the pain that it's caused his father, his father basically doesn't even leave the house. I think it shows you the humanity and I think it shows you um, it's, we don't have one victim in any of these cases. We have hundreds of victims. Uh, So I would say that one for sure. Um, Again, it's hard for me not to talk about the, the West Memphis three documentaries, Paradise Lost. I, I think, as far as informative, they're just not as informative now. Yeah. These documentaries are so in depth, and there's multi parts. And when, if you go back and watch Paradise Lost one, two, three, these were all done years apart. It wasn't. We're, they weren't in the age that they could do a six part series. Um. But I think those are fascinating. Uh, I think those will just, for me, will never get old. The Paradise Lost trilogy, mm-hmm. uh, which everybody knows. So I'd say Adnan Syed, the HBO four part series, uh, is just really well done. And, uh, and I also like the, the six part series. Uh, that oxygen did on the missing Laura Murray. Yeah, that, that was a good um, job. They did a good job at that. I think they did a really good job of saying, here's what people think they know. And let's try to actually prove something. I'm going to see. Because like I said, mm-hmm. we're co- we covered John Benet Ramsey for a month. And I, I guess I'm looking for some kind of praise or something, but I, I just feel like, I mean, I always thought it, it was just an accident. Yeah. You know, Burke, Burke must have hit her on the head. 100%. That was it. He did it, and the family didn't want to lose another child. That was what kind of was like, hey, the underground, yeah, that's what really happened. That's what everyone always thought. And, and the truth now, older people, if they don't watch documentaries or listen to podcasts, they're like, no, that's what happened. I don't care what anyone says. That's it. Right. And then and then you come in with – I mean, and the, and the other thing, too, is I mean – me and my father have never really talked a lot about cases, but for some reason, the John Benet Ramsey case is something we've always talked about. And when the CBS documentary came out, we both got on the phone and I said, did you see that? Yes, I did. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Other than the fact that they left out all this information, <laughs> you know, they left out the I mean, facts. Don't worry about that. Yeah. I mean, if, if a girl gets hit on the head and she's unconscious, okay, fine. So what happens if you choke a girl that's unconscious? She doesn't defend herself. She doesn't defend the action of being choked. But if we have evidence that on her neck that she defended the choke, trying to get the rope off of her neck, there is a thing called defensive wounds. It's something that we've known about for hundreds and hundreds of years. She has defensive wounds all over her neck because she was conscious and she was alive when whoever was choking her. So 
look, that's an autopsy. That's an autopsy photos. That's fact. That's not some biased opinion. Some dumb podcaster that drinks beer in a garage has <laughs> that's fact. And if you do your research and you spend the time and I'm not talking about an hour Google search, I'm talking about actual, I mean, I could not tell you how many hours I spent on that case. Um, you know, so, and I didn't get much further, you know, <laughs> all I know is those are things that I can't dispute. And when multiple, I mean, I watched this great BBC documentary on the German name Ranger case when they brought in forensic, you know, this whole forensic team and, and their whole theory was, okay, well, could she been hit on the head and knocked unconscious first? Well, right when they saw those defensive wounds, they said, no, couldn't happen. Now, I'm not, uh, I don't think it's impossible that she was choked for a time period to get those defensive wounds and then hit on the head and then choked again. I don't think that's impossible. But, but at some point, she has to be being choked pretty hard and defending um, that action. Um, and again, I think it's, I think we're in this weird gray period of crime where I think this DNA shouldn't exclude anybody in the family and shouldn't rule out any of these crazy people that have come forward and confessed to the crime because I think the DNA is contaminated. But again, that's, that's if you actually read the report that the, uh, why the DA, uh, exonerated the family is beyond me. Uh, it says in the report that it's possible that it's a single individual DNA and it's possible that it's a mixture. And if it's a mixture, it could be two to five individuals. It says in the report. <laughs> so if I have a DNA that possibly is a mixture of more than two or three people, I can't, that can't be credible DNA to test against. Um, and, and I think it's also, we're in a weird period that it's like you have to, you were in the CSI period that you have to have fingerprints, uh, blood samples, uh, DNA, uh, you know, uh, touch DNA, five eyewitnesses. You almost have to have too much. You're right. Juries are contaminated by not what, where's the DNA? Well, there's none. Whoa. And that, that you're right with that. Right, because then what happens is all oh, there's no DNA. Well, then there's a possibility that this person didn't do it, so I can't sentence him to death. And then we have other cases that we have no evidence, no physical evidence whatsoever, but we have testimony of lying people, people that we know are known liars, and those people are behind bars spending the rest of their life in jail. It makes zero sense. But again, we have to... It's our job to create uh, the world in which we live in. It's our job. You know, if you don't like the government, okay, change the government. Make change. You know? Yeah, make change if you don't and, like it. And you have to make small steps. You know, not every victim was an angel. Let's get over that. Let's move forward. It's okay to say that something's your favorite case. It's okay to say that you enjoy uh, studying this. I mean, I think it's more a study of the psychology of humans than anything. Uh, but also the, it's the study of truth mm -hmm. and, and, and our system needs to be more about the truth. 
and and prosecutors need to be awarded not for the convictions, but 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 actually finding the truth. Um, and I think if we had and I don't look, I we have a prosecution, we have defense, and I don't know if that's enough. I think there also needs to be some outside uh, group that is working towards the truth. Uh, I mean, look in a in a divorce case, you have the the attorneys mm-hmm. for the the mother, you have the attorneys for the father, and then you get a guardian ad litem, which is basically the attorney for the kids. And I think maybe that's what our justice system needs. We have an attorney for the prosecution uh, to get the conviction. We have the, the attorney for defense to uh, stop that prosecution. And then we have an attorney that's for the truth. And if the truth comes out, it shouldn't matter if the guy has uh, a parole hearing left. It shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. And that should be run by the state because then when the state finds the truth, they can go, look, yeah, we might have we might have been the ones that put you on death row, but we're the ones that figuring out that you shouldn't be on death row. Yeah. And, and and the reason why it should be through the state, because if the state figured it out or the state did it, then you shouldn't be able to sue the state because of that, you know, because a lot of these people are going to stay in jail because the because the states are afraid of the lawsuit afterwards. Like they're afraid of the lawsuits, and they're also afraid afraid of like maybe the promotions that the prosecutor got, that the judge got. That's also a big thing. Oh yeah, and see, and so if you had a separate unit, mm-hmm. it's not the prosecution's fault that he got the conviction. He's not the scumbag. It falls back on the the, the group that was working on the truth. Mm-hmm. So if they figured out that he was wrong years later, it doesn't fall back negatively on anybody. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and some people would argue that there are, you know, there's groups out there working on these cases to try to get these people set free. Um, but yeah, I mean, I no, that's <laughs> this uh, is why I have a podcast. No, can, uh, that's an interesting take, and I, I agree with it. I don't know if this next one's a fun one, if it's going to fit into your criteria, but. I always have, you know, I have mostly athletes and stuff on. You and I are at a bar. You finally make it to New York. Who's the coolest person in your phone or coolest person that reached out to you about the podcast? Oh, I can't remember her name. Um, there's a show called Pretty Little Liars. Oh, yeah. I actually watched that my wife. If you Google whoever the star is, she, I think it was through like, Facebook story okay, or something or Twitter or something that she tweeted about the show. That's actually really cool. And what was really cool for me was, and again, I wish I could remember her name, but I can't, <laughs> but there's a singer songwriter named boy Vance, F O Y Vance. Right. And I believe he's Irish, but Ed Sharon loves him. Ed Sharon's like a pop singer songwriter. This guy is yeah. not. This guy is a, you know, the real deal singer songwriter. And he's on Ed Sharon's label. And he had this really great video called She Burns. Okay. And this same actress that played in Pretty Little Liars tweeted that she liked 
this record by Floyd Vance. Oh, shit. So Floyd Vance reached out to her and said, would you be in a video? She said, yes, I'll do the video for free. She did the whole video for him for free. Holy shit. And so I always thought, how cool of a girl is this, you know, to go, hey, I believe in your music. And yeah, you might not be super popular, and but I'll be in your video because I love your music. And which helped him get publicity. And I always just thought she was so cool. So the fact that somebody said, oh, she tweeted about your podcast. I was like, oh, my God, that's crazy. Um, And then also she was like the co-host for Ryan Seacrest, uh, New Year's Eve, Rockin' Eve or whatever. She was the co-host. So the whole whole, uh, New Year's drinking with my buddies, I kept on going, she listens to the show. She tweeted at me. She she likes us. Um, but yeah, it just <laughs> it, it just always cracks me up when like an actual celebrity, like meeting Chris D'Elia, uh, which is a pretty famous comedian. Mm-hmm. He's now been in Eminem. I mean, if you're in an Eminem video, yeah. playing Eminem you're a pretty huge comedian and the fact that he has sent me and Nick free tickets and we've gone to see him multiple times. And just to know that there's these hugely famous people that I listen to, you know, and that helps me get through uh, my bad days that, that I'm somehow putting out a podcast that getting them through their bad days or, or just getting them through the day. Um, blows my mind. You know. two, two more things, Scott. I was going to suggest a case to you, and then I realized that every freaking person in the world must do that, right? Yeah, but maybe, but maybe I've heard of it. Maybe I haven't. I'm pretty sure that's you, the other one. Yeah, when they get mad that you haven't heard of a case. Oh, I, oh, I know, I know. But I bet you heard this one. Uh, the Eaton Pats case, obviously from New York City, the six-year-old boy. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, but that one, I like that one. Because it's obviously where I grew up and stuff. And that was the first missing person case that kind of blew everything up. And how about the John List case from 71 when he killed his wife, mother, and three children in New Jersey. And then disappeared for 18 years. And then he was caught because of America's Most Wanted. That one always fascinates me. Oh, that's a, that, that's a really good one. Those, um, those are my two that I'm always like, you know about this? Those two are my uh, go-to read about. They're really fascinating cases. Yeah, there was a kid that went missing in North Ohio in Portsmouth. Mm-hmm. Or not Portsmouth, uh, Port Clinton. And I was just up there for a gig a couple weeks ago, and they found him in an abandoned house. Oh, my God. Like a, the kid, you know, kid was missing for several weeks. <laughs> and they, like, searched this house multiple times, uh, uh, found him in a chimney. Oh. Um and now, now, now the speculation becomes: Was he there by his own accord, or was uh, you know was it an accident, or was was there foul play? But uh, yeah, so any missing person case. But again, in the case where you know you you kill family members and you go disappearing for eighteen years, it's proof that people can go disappear. <laughs> It gives you the answer of both out things. But I want the truth on this one. This is my last question I have for you, and you got to give me one answer. 
one case that you want solved the most, or not that you need to be solved, oh, you don't care about that victim, one case that for some reason you're just consumed by and you need to know the answer to and you want to see a resolve to? I, well, I, I used to say John Bonet, and I would I'd like for that case to be solved, obviously. Um, but but as far as like like needing to know, I, I don't know. I guess uh, that's a, that's a, that's such a tough question. You know which one that boggles my mind. I don't know if it's was it the Indiana Delphi cases like down the hill when the guy tells the two girls yeah the, Delphi murders the, yeah. that one for me just I watching it I just it infuriates me that no one knows who this is that that one that one bothers me the most well that one drives me nuts and we talked about that case we talked about the Brian Schaefer case and the Delphi case uh, this week on Off the Record and the Delphi case I think because it's it's three years old now. And for three years, they've been telling us that they're one step away. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, I guess every case is always just one step away. You know, the John Benet Ramsey case is one step away. Any missing person case is one step away. You know, the person comes back, oh, they're not missing anymore. So, <laughs> um, I also, it, it's just so tough, especially like when you, you know, we've met family members of the Delphi case and, so on on some level, knowing them personally, you yeah. go. I, I really hope that they get answers, or or it's or like even going back to like Julie Murray. I mean, Julie Murray runs a CrossFit gym, and she's sending me jokes about CrossFit and talking trash because she can lift more <laughs> on certain lifts than I can, and and to know that she knows that always in the back of my head. She's the sister of a girl that went missing. Yeah. Um, so with those, you hope that these families get answers. But the question is, which one drives me the most crazy? Um, and, and so if I had to be selfish, uh, the Adnan Syed case. Mm, um, that interesting answer. But I also think it's weird, too, because I think, like, and and I know it sounds, like, very uh, conceited to be like, oh, I'd love to write a book. But, like, with that case, I think there's things, like, when we say, quote, unquote, favorite cases, that case, which blew up because of serial, I never listened to. We were uh, over a year into our show before I even listened to serial. Uh you know, it just wasn't my thing. And, and, but to, I was the same age as those kids. I would have graduated with those kids. And that becomes a connection that you can't explain to somebody else. It's just like with the West Memphis three case, I can't explain to you my connection with Danny Nichols and Jason Baldwin. I can't explain to you why I feel connected to them. That doesn't mean I think they're innocent or guilty. I'm just stating I can't explain to you why I'm connected to that case. Or when you look at the victims in that case, those three eight-year-old boys, I remember being their age, the buyer's boy. You know, I remember riding my bike around with my buddies after school, one of us wearing our Boy Scout outfit because we had Boy Scouts that night. 
So I think there's certain little things that connect us to cases um, in, in such a weird subconscious level. Um, but the Adnan case, I've, I've spent so much time debating and I have so many questions that aren't answered. At least with the John Bonet Ramsey case, I was able to sit down and answer a couple questions for myself. Mm-hmm. And with the Adnan case, as much time as I've spent on it, I still just have moments where, uh, and I don't want anybody to feel bad for me, but I've gained 60 pounds in two years. Uh, I've, gone and like seen a therapist because the stuff has taken over my life in a a bad way wow you know um and and and, you know but but i feel but i have to feel on some level we're doing something good that we're changing the world in a good way um even if it's just making somebody's day more entertaining and more informative. I have to believe that it's doing something good. Um, I know you, I know you are. I'm going to tell you why we'll wrap it up with this. I know you are because in some of, you know, shitty moments, shitty this, and you need an outlet from whatever it is, no matter how bad your day is, it sounds fucked up, but it's a good outlet to put on you and Nick listen to true crime or whatever or if shit's going on you are the outlet even if the outlet is messed up stuff do you understand what i'm saying like even if you have a shitty day like oh my god you don't need to go put on a cartoon or laugh or listen to comedy your outlet might be a true crime thing maybe it maybe it gets you thinking like oh maybe maybe if that one hour or though you know if you listen to two back-to-back episodes those two hours and 20 minutes get you thinking get your mind off whatever it is so but listen, you know you're doing good, and I have to thank you before I have you do all your plugs. One, for speaking so passionately about everything, and that's why I really like having you on and like listening to you because you're not running the mill like, my favorite case is this. You get into stuff. You for- We actually forget the questions we ask each other. You're so passionate, and I want to thank you for opening up about your dad too because you're throwing, oh, my dad was a detective here. You opened up about his job and everything, man. You were incredible. I hope this was a little different than 24-7 True Crime, but give all the plugs. <laughs> Crime Con, other things, the music, the social well, no, media, I the Twitter. Want say, I want to say, uh, back to your last question real quick, is uh, just the other day I was screaming at the top of my lungs. It doesn't make any sense that Heyman Lee, the victim in the Adnan Syed case, mm-hmm that her boyfriend never tries to make contact with her after she goes missing. And the day she went missing, he somehow has a written alibi and a written timesheet on the day she goes missing. Like it doesn't make any damn sense at all. Uh, And why this person wasn't looked at baffles me. But, uh, if you want to have a drink with me, I'll be at CrimeCon uh, 2020 uh, in Orlando, Florida, the first week of May. Uh, and I will scream and yell like I do every CrimeCon because it's just talking about cases and yelling. Uh, it's all it is, but it's a lot of fun. And check out our podcast. It's called True Crime Garage. 
we we put out uh, almost every week. It's two episodes, and uh, you can find out all the other stuff at TrueCrimeGarage.com. And remember, if the, if you get a retweet or he DMs you back, it is the captain. It's not one of the millions of interns that helped them out. <laughs> yeah, I wish we had an intern. You know, <laughs> listen, my friend. So, this listen, this was an absolute blast. I know you. I'm sorry about your grandfather passing away five times. And, dude, I planned on doing 30 minutes with you for you to do an hour and a half. I know you're crazy busy. We're recording this on a late Monday night. You're awesome. I love the show. Love everything you do. And uh, I'll keep in touch. And we'll have a beer when I get to Ohio. Okay, my friend? Yeah, and, and we'll we'll make sure to do this again uh, sooner than later. Cap, you're the best, brother. Keep up the good work. And uh, good luck with everything. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, brother. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.